0: Welcome to services from Winfield Free Will Baptist Church, located in Winfield, Alabama, where we believe the fullness of God is real in our lives. We appreciate you listening and pray you'll continue to do so, and that God will richly bless you and touch your life through His Word. Now, let's join Pastor Kent Nelson as he brings God's Word. You
1: may Turn your Bibles to Philippians. Philippians chapter 4 is our text for this morning, Philippians chapter 4. Don't you love how they're taking the old songs and bringing new ideas and new ways of singing great truths that we've sang for years? And so thankful for that reminder this morning, amen, and that it is well with my soul. Philippians chapter 4 is our text this morning, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9 in just a moment, Philippians chapter four. If you and I were to get in our vehicles and we were able to travel basically due north, 65 miles, eggs would mark the spot. It's the spot where an American hero by the name of Helen Keller was raised. Of course, you know the city to be Tuscumbia, Alabama, you know the home place to be Ivy Green, and maybe you've been there before. Our family had a chance to go there about seven years ago. Uh, I've got a picture album with me this morning reminding us of that little trip that we took, and man, I tell you, what a fascinating trip. Let me tell you a little bit about that trip as we get started this morning. We went to the Ivy Green Museum, and there we were in the house where blind, deaf, and mute Helen Keller was raised. If you've ever been there, you go out back, and you'll find the old restored water pump that was used by her special teacher, Ann Sullivan, to teach her words. Can you you remember the scene in the old movie where finally Helen Keller began to grasp it? Ann Sullivan was able to use her hands in the palm of Helen Keller, and she finally understood what the word meant, and things were different. Things change for her. If you travel a little bit further, you see the servant's house. You see the area where they would cook. But the thing that fascinated me, now watch me, is they have a place in that museum where there are quotes, famous sayings from Helen Keller. You see, Helen Keller grew up to be a worldwide figure. Her story of perseverance Uh, influenced many, many people. And there was one particular quote that caught and has caught my attention. You see, here's a woman that is deaf. Here's a woman that is blind. I can see. I can hear. Here's a woman that that really cannot speak because uh, of her blindness and her deafness. And yet, she says something profound that rocks me to the core every time I read it. Here's what she said. Now, watch me. Helen Keller said, So much has been given me that I don't have time to ponder what I don't have. I don't know about you, but that's an astounding quote. She's a woman that had learned a valuable truth about life, is she not? You see, you and I, we can gripe and we can complain and using a good old country term, we can waller in self-pity over what we don't have, over what has happened to us in life. But our text this morning, the testimony of Helen Keller reminds us as well, you can find joy and you can find contentment in what God has given you. In our text this morning, Philippians chapter 4, this church in Philippi is struggling with their joy. They're struggling with their sense of contentment. And there's a specific reason why they have experienced difficulty and hardship. Many pains have entered into their life. And the list of enemies and difficulties is long throughout the book of Philippians. There are enemies attacking the church. There are problems within the church arising. People not getting along with each other. There's worry in the hearts that are arresting those believers. And so here's what God does, and this is what we're going to do here this morning. Paul instructed them to understand and live with a sense of joy. Paul would say to them, listen, it doesn't matter what you're going through. There's the ability through Christ to have joy and to have peace. And Paul is going to share with them something amazing about life. is that no matter what we don't have, we can rejoice in Christ about what we do have. Amen. So I want you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. Look with me, if you will, Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to look at verse 6, 7, and 8. God's Word says this, Be careful for nothing, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God. Hey, many want the peace of God in this world? And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Verse 8, Paul begins to tell them about the thought life, in that he says, finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, he says, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. I want us to have a word of prayer. Father, this morning you are rightly aligning our hearts with truth. The song, it is well, Lord, rightly speaks of the difficulties of life. That there are winds and there are waves that we all experience. And like the disciples on the Sea of Galilee, sometimes we feel as if those winds and waves are going to crash over us and sink us, destroy us, bring us to our demise and to our end. But God, remind us this morning that the winds and waves still obey your voice. The very thing that the disciples thought would drown them is what Jesus walked upon. And so, Father, today, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts. I pray to God that you'll touch us, Lord, in a way that can only be described as a touch of the Holy Spirit. Lord, as we gather here this morning for your word. In Jesus' name, I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. If you and I were to define, describe this church at Philippi by the testimony of God's word, here's what we would say. We would say that this church at Philippi indeed is a good church. As a matter of fact, Paul is going to say that in many ways throughout the text. He will tell them throughout the chapters of the book of Philippians that they are his family, that he thanks them for their partnership in the gospel, for their fellowship in the gospel. And when we describe this church, we have to circle the word in our hearts and minds, it is a good church. But can I tell you, good churches can still be at a threat of the adversary. Amen? A good church can still experience things that can derail them. As a matter of fact, that's what this good church, the church at Philippi, is experiencing. And what God is doing through the Apostle Paul, now hear me, church, is he is bringing their attention to what matters the most. This church at Philippi, even though it was a good church, it was a distracted church. And so this morning, if you will, let me share with you Two basic things, and we'll continue this tonight, about this church and how God was trying to get their attention back upon what was most important. Number one, Paul is going to say to them, and this is what we should hear in our own hearts and minds, if we are distracted, if somehow we have got our attention off of what most is important, we have to remember that we are called to joyfully serve the Lord together. How many of you remember the song? I want to be a worker for the Lord. Amen? Will you raise your hand? Now, I want you to stand and sing it right now. I'm just kidding. But I do want that song to be in your heart. I grew up hearing that song, and that song would motivate me, and it it would stir my heart to doing more for God. I want to be a worker for the Lord. And the idea is entering into the field of labor every day for the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And church, while that is a song of old that we sing, can I remind us here this morning that it is still the call upon our lives to enter into the service of the Lord every day? This church at Philippi, they're struggling with that. As a matter of fact, I want you to notice that, uh, like them, we are living in a time of distractions. Did you know that politicians know that, that we are easily distracted? They know that people will not stay focused for very long, so they just move us from one political agenda to the next. The politicians know that we're easily distracted. The media knows that we are easily distracted. Distracted. We have a 24-hour news cycle. Big news comes and then what's next? A big event, then what's next? But you know who else knows that we're easily distracted? Now hear me. You know who else knows? His name is the devil. He knows that we are easily distracted people and he uses that to his diabolical advantage. Instead of Listen to me. Focusing on what is important, don't we tend to focus on what is just interesting? Yeah. What catches our attention? What brings us a little excitement? Let me give you an illustration of that. If you have a smartphone, you probably know the dilemma, don't you? How many times... Have you experienced in a little couch exercise? What do you mean by couch exercise? You sit there and you go, boom, 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 boom. Boy, I've had my exercise for today. I'm good now. We all do it. You know what happens when we do that next little, boop, boop. Those that know more than I do, they say. You're experiencing a dopamine hit. I'm on dope, and that's not what I said, dopamine. What that means is your body's feeling a little bit of excitement, anticipating what's next. There's just a little bit of excitement there. You see what we've, listen, found ourselves to be. We're not careful. We're more interested and pay our attention to what is interesting than what is important. I'll say this as well, and please uh, don't, don't be offended by this because this is a condition that is common to man. Instead of being fixed upon steadfast truth, we're operating on temporary feelings, many of us. We operate in the paradigm and the modus operandi of if it feels right, if it just makes me feel good, if, it just, if I'm just motivated by an emotion, then I'll do it. Can I tell you that is one of the worst things that you can have in your motivational factors of life? Why? Because the devil will always find a way to keep you from being motivated. He will always find a way for you to lose interest in the things of God. If you are interested only in those things that are exciting, if you are focused on only those things, well, quite frankly... They give you a good feeling. You are ripe for the adversary's distractions. And in church, I say all of that saying this. There's biblical precedence of what's going on here. I want you to look in your text with me. Uh, Paul is is building a case here. He begins in chapter 4 and verse 1. Notice Paul is going to tell them how much he deeply cares for them as his family. You're going to see that they're instructed to, to, to be careful in their attention. You're going to see that they're easily distracted by their feelings in these first three verses. How so? Notice how Paul begins it in chapter 1. He says, therefore, boy, listen to these terms of endearment, my dearly beloved. Paul is saying, I love you. I care for you. You are my dearly beloved. Paul says, you are my people. and He says, I have a passion for you. You are the longed for. He describes them as his joy and his crown. They are his partners in ministry. He says to them, I love you, but I'm calling you to do something that you're missing the boat on. He's saying you need to stand fast. Don't get distracted by things. And Paul begins to share what he's deeply concerned about. Notice in verse 2. There's a desperate concern for Paul in Paul's heart for his Christian family, the one that he shares that he cares so much about in verse 1. He says, I beseech Yodius." Notice he uses the word again, I beseech. The word there is beg, I implore. There's a sense of desperation in Paul's heart. He is concerned about these two women. I beseech Yodius, and I beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true young fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and with my other fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Paul is saying, listen, you believers in Philippi, you're, you're, you're a good church, but I'm afraid you're distracted from the calling of God upon your life. Several years ago, let me, let me try to illustrate this was a story. Several years ago, I went canoeing. Now, thank God it was several years ago. Imagine my big old self getting in a canoe these days. Amen? I remember I took a group of teenagers to a lake canoeing, and we all began to pair off to get into the two-man canoe and begin canoe around the lake. And I noticed that there was one particular boy. He was about... Twelve years old that nobody wanted to canoe with, and I thought, well, you know, I'm the I'm the I'm the I'm the, I'm the leader. I'm in charge of this group, and so I'm going to take this young man under my wing. Church. After about thirty minutes, I knew why nobody wanted to be with the fella. True story. My man was standing there right beside me, and I was trying to make sure he paid attention because I'm about to put my life in his hands. We we're going to be mutually dependent upon each other in this little canoe. And so Tyler heard how to properly put on the life jacket. I was standing there. I made sure he did. My buddy Tyler, he he was there when the instructor said, Now the way that you move a canoe is that you have to take your oar and with rhythm, with the other person in the boat with you, you have to put it in the water at the same time. That way you can go in the same direction at a consistent speed. He heard all of that. He even heard the instructor say, if you really want to have control, get that paddle deep in the water. Was it Billy? It might've went in one ear, but it went out the other. We got in the canoe together. I figured as the man in charge of this trip, I needed to be in the back so I could see what was going on. My buddy Tyler was in the seat in front of me And here we go. I was quite a bit envious when I saw all the other canoes consistently going in a straight line direction. Because the fact is, that was not the experience of me and Tyler in that two-man canoe. You see, Tyler had the capability of hearing what was perfectly said to him and understanding what it took to go in a certain direction. You get from point A to point B, operating in this kind of particular way. But for whatever reason, Tyler, well, he didn't get it. I would try to adjust I would see that my buddy Tyler was putting his paddle in on the left-hand side, and though I would put mine on the right-hand side. And so we are consistently trying to go in rhythm in the same direction. But then he would change. As a matter of fact, Tyler really forgot the fact that you need to put that paddle deep in the water because about every other stroke, it would be a shallow stroke. And what happens to the guy behind you? Splash. My man Tyler soaks me in water. Now we survive. I'm here to tell you the story, but we were the laughingstock of the canoeing community that day. I got out of the boat and I realized sometimes your good intentions in doing things for people don't always pay off because I did not enjoy myself. But isn't that the way church, the kingdom of God is to be? that we have to consistently working at being in rhythm with the will of God, each man doing his part, each woman doing her part consistently. The fact is, we might want to paddle in one direction, or we might want to go in in a certain direction, and if we decide we're going to take our boat in that direction, we're just going to do all the paddling ourselves. You know why? Unless we are in conjunction with others and the will of God and the purpose of God for our church or our families, you know what? It's going to be nothing but chaos, and it will be a miserable experience. Church. That's why the Apostle Paul has said over and over again in chapter 1. He says, you are to be striving together. For the word of the gospel, being of one mind. In chapter two, he's very clear of this. Fulfill ye my joy, that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of being one mind. Don't do what you do out of your own purposes in vainglory. There's a purpose behind living together. It's called building the kingdom of God. Now, now here's the point to accomplish the work of God that God has called this community of faith. We must be paddling in the same direction and in rhythm. And the church at Philippi was struggling. And here's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, get your focus right. Look at verse 4. After exhorting these two ladies, after reminding them that they are being distraction to themselves and to others in the church, he says, listen, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice, have joy, purposefully think of your salvation. Think of what God has done for you, what he's done, what he's done. I thank God for what he's done. He's telling them to rejoice. He's telling them to refocus. He's telling them, get your eyes off of each other and the problems that you might have and rejoice in the Lord. And notice he says, and do that letting your moderation, your goodness being made known unto all men, the way that you work together in harmony as a church, as God's people building the kingdom of God, is a testimony of goodness to all men. And he ends this exhortation in verse 5 with this little phrase look at it on the screen. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is coming back. He, he is soon returning. It's as if he is on the edge of heaven waiting for the Father's announcement go get my. People bring them home. And the Apostle Paul is telling them, listen, don't be so distracted by other things. Don't live in this world of what is just interesting, forsaking that which is important. Don't be moved away from the important biblical principles of truth to that which is more than just your feelings. He says, listen, think about the kingdom of God, rejoice in what God is doing. Let your goodness be made known to all. God is still coming home. He's refocusing them. But here's what I really wanted to focus on this morning. We're going to wrap this up. The second thing that he tells them is this, and this is our Thanksgiving idea. Look at it. Oh, I like this. After he tells them that, that they are to rejoice, keeping their eyes on what is important, he says, strategically pray, Over what weighs on you? Now, the question has to be asked. Did they have weights on them? What was bringing them down? A cursory look at the book of Philippians tells us that there were a lot of things that were weighing them down. Persecution, interpersonal relationships, financial problems. Paul would say to them, learn to be content. And then he said to them, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus The the weight of financial issues was weighing them down. The problems of interpersonal relationships, the issues of hearts being filled with fear over the uncertainty of the future, all of those things were a part of what was weighing them down. And here's what Paul says in response to all of that. Look at the text with me on the screen. Here it is. He says, now I'm going to tell you, be careful. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything, he would say. But in everything... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Oh, church, please watch this. Paul says, I want you to understand the broad scope of prayer here. There's a very broad scope. The scope is in everything. Pray about everything. Be in a constant state of prayer. You know, this is hard. But but here's what Paul is telling us. Throughout the day, our minds should be operating with the awareness that God is always with us and God is willing to guide us. Do you wake up good in the morning? You say, preacher, it's before 12. Don't make me answer that. Well, you did. You answered it just then. I don't wake up good in the morning. I used to. Um, I don't wake up grumpy in the morning. I let her sleep in every every day. I am dead meat. That was not in my notes. (laughs) I don't know where that came from. That was not from the Lord. I'm dead. You know what I found. I'm the one that's kind of grumpy these days. I don't go, I don't know. Just, is it an age thing? Those of you that are 50 and over, is it an age thing? Maybe it is. Some of you had a birthday this week. I have to get up and purposefully work on a good attitude. I'll be frank with you this morning. I got up, just felt like, man, I'm tired. You ever feel that way? A lot to be done today. Ooh. I got down on my knees and began to pray. God, I want to remind myself of what you've done. Here's a practice of my life I try to do every day. Watch me. I try to say, Lord, this is what I remember. God, I remember, and I'm on my knees. I'm praying, oh, God, I remember that that you are the creator of all. You spoke the world into existence. And, Father, man has chosen to sin and offend you. And, oh, God, I'm one of them. But I thank you, oh, Lord, that you've sent your son Jesus Christ to die for my sin so that I can have forgiveness and I can have eternal life and my hope can be full in Christ. And, And I go through all of that, and I remember all of that. And then I say this, now watch me, I surrender. God, I remember and I surrender. And then I, I try to go throughout the morning praising God. You know what I'm doing? I'm doing what is counter to my natural self. My natural self wants to get up and go, Eeyore, Eeyore, what a day. Wah. But I have to put myself before the Lord intentionally. It's, it's, it's a calling upon our life. Someone said it this way. Put your problems into perspective By praying with thanksgiving. Uh, Understand this. The scriptures say this everywhere. David would say this in the Psalms. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. If you don't get anything, get what I'm about to say right now. Every moment lived in the presence of God can be a movement living in the power of God. Every moment lived in the presence of God can be a movement living in the power of God. In other words, God can move with a mighty power in our lives when we live by prayer, knowing that he is watching and he is listening. Paul is saying in summary in these verses, dwelling on anxiety, dwelling in anxiety on what weighs you down is worry, but dwelling in anticipation on who lifts you up is worship. Paul is going to be telling us your mind is going to be dwelling on something one way or the other. Let it dwell upon God. See your problems through the filter of thanksgiving. You see, there's a specific strategy here. He's saying to them, see your problems through the the lens of thanksgiving. Someone tried to put this on paper one day. I thought it was good, much better than what I could ever do. Listen to how someone wrote it. Looking at problems through the lens of Thanksgiving, this person wrote, Even though I clutch my blankets and groan when the alarm rings each morning, I say, Thank you, Lord, that I can hear that alarm. There are those who are deaf. This person writes, Even though I keep my eyes tightly closed against the morning light, as long as possible, thank you, Lord, that I can see there are many who are blind. Even though I huddle in my bed and put off the physical effort of rising, thank you Lord that I have the strength to rise. There are many who are bedfast. Even though the first hour of my day is absolutely hectic uh, when socks are lost, toast is burned, tempers are short, thank you Lord for my family. There are many that are lonely. Even though our table never looks like the pictures in the magazines and the menu is at times unbalanced, thank you, Lord, for the food that we have. There are many who are hungry. Even though the routine of my job is often monotonous, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to work. There are many who have no work. Listen, this is what Paul is telling me. He's saying, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is telling them that gratitude is a remedy to a rotten attitude. He tells them you'll never be a slave to worry when you're mastered by gratitude. He's telling them that fretfulness is always defeated by thankfulness. He's saying, put all of your problems in the perspective of thanksgiving. I'll tell you the story and then we'll wrap it up. It's a story of a lady who had really given up on the idea of serving a really good Thanksgiving dinner. Ladies, do you feel that way? She had tried for years, and she had blown it. Matter of fact, her her husband and son just really didn't look forward to Thanksgiving anymore. So they began to eat out every year. One year she decided, no, I'm going to take another shot at it. I'm going to get at it this year. She went and bought a turkey. She bought the stuff to make dressing. She got all the trimmings ready. But she warned her family, and this is what she said. Now watch me. She said, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I'm going to tell you what. If it's not good, don't say a word. Don't say a peep. What we're going to do is we're just going to get up from the table and we're gonna go out to eat and get something good. Got it? Yes, mom. Yes, ma'am. She labored all morning in the kitchen. Things smell good. She got it all ready. She got the turkey out of the oven. She began to think, now here's the moment. In the next room are my husband and my son anticipating and waiting at the table. Here I go. She took the turkey in her hand She pushed open the door to go into the dining room and there her husband and son sat with their jacket and shoes on ready to go to the restaurant. (laughs) Got the keys, Mom. Listen, here's what I'm saying to you. Things don't always go like we expect. Matter of fact, life can take the negative downturns and difficulties and hardships begin to seemingly rule and reign in our lives. And we can become distracted by our feelings. We can be distracted by convenience. We can just begin to lean into those things that are just interested and want to move us. But listen, here's what God says. That is an instrument of the adversary. Because our focus is not... Upon that which is interesting, but which is the most important thing, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Our focus must not be our feelings, but those never-changing important truths that have been passed along to us from generation to generation. And some of us feel like we've blown it. We've got distracted. I get it, but here's what Paul says. Rejoice. Get realigned in the service of the Lord. That's where you will find your greatest joy. Let your goodness, your gentleness, your moderation be known unto all men. God is coming back, and we've got a job to do. He says, and those things that are weighing you down, strategically take them to the Lord in prayer. And the broad scope is everything, but the specific thing is with thanksgiving. And when you do, you put your problems into perspective. And so I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I know you got problems. Welcome to the world, amen? Welcome to 2022. Maybe your problems are like those of the Church of Philippi financial problems? Well, check that box. Persecution because of doing what is right? Check that box. Interpersonal relationships, problems, check that box. They all had them. And we do too. But God says, do not be distracted. Get your eyes upon the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. The scripture says, take all these things that are weights, put them in the filter of thanksgiving, and just see what I can do. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, God says, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Oh, church, I am so glad for that. Father God, we love you today. Jesus Christ died that we might have life and have it more abundantly, but that does not mean that it will be absent of trials, of financial issues, of health problems, relationship issues, persecution, fear, and even anxiety that comes upon us because of the unknown, what tomorrow will bring. But God, we have you. Rejoice in the Lord, Paul said. Rejoice, our focus must be the Lord, you. So Father, put our focus upon you today. Lord, we've sang about it already. What you've done, what you've done. Lord, we've sang about Calvary. We're saying about the empty tomb. We're about the power of the resurrection. All these things. We've acknowledged, Lord, the truth, the doctrine of what we believe as, Lord, our faith. And Lord, we trust in you today. And so, God, give us the strength to trust deeper, be more committed, and, Lord, be captivated by your heart today.
0: In Jesus' name. You've been listening to services from Winfield Free Will Baptist Church. We're located at 1960 U.S. Highway 43 in Winfield, Alabama. We'd love to have you join us live in person if you're available. Sunday school begins at 10 a.m. each Sunday with worship services at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. and Bible study every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. If you'd like to support the ministry of Winfield Free Will Baptist Church or you'd just love to send us your questions, comments, or prayer requests, feel free to mail us your love offering or correspondence to P.O. Box 866 Winfield, Alabama 355. You can also give by texting 256-344-3648. Follow us online. Just search for Winfield Free Will Baptist Church on Facebook, where we live stream all of our services. Again, thank you for joining us.